Live from Kalaloo Studios in New York City, you are listening to Let's Take It Offline with your host, Kishana Palmer. Hey, Fab Crew. You're listening to Let's Take This Offline, the podcast for everyday leaders. Heart inspiration, heart sat down. Let's have a conversation. Here's where you'll find the real deal about living well and leading well. I'm Kashana Palmer, your host and resident leadership whiz. What happened in the meeting after the meeting? We talk about it all on Let's Take This Offline. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and leave a comment so we can keep the conversation going. Listen, there are a few times in your career when you meet folks who shift the way you think about some things. And in summer of 2020, I floated the idea of doing a podcast with a community I founded, The Rooted Collaborative, a global community for women of color in the social sector. We were at our inaugural conference, The Rooted Retreat, and in a fireside chat with today's guest, the idea for Let's Take This Offline, the podcast for everyday leaders, took root. So let's listen in to our conversation, and y'all, let me know what gems drop for you. Evie Walker is the founder and CEO of O4, the national talent brokerage. Clients come to Evie for her trademark no-nonsense counsel on building high-performing teams, debunking the meritocracy myth, abolishing performance reviews, and exploring how to ensure that the future of work is a virtual 25-hour work week. Her work has been featured in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, Fast Company, PBS, NewsHour, and more. Ifi is an attorney by training and a proud product of Nigerian parents, the original Dairy State, and Head Start. She is a mother of two, a sister to five, and wife to the best decision she's ever made. When she's not questioning everything, you can find her running Mom's School of Excellence. Follow her on Twitter at Evie Walker, I-F-I-W-A-L-K-E-R, or on LinkedIn, follow the hashtag Dear Black Women. She also writes on her blog, Pass the Baton. Hey, friend. Hey, friend. You know, Ify, every time I hear your bio read in some, like, space or place, I'm always like, oh, my God, I know her. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, my God. Thank you. I love her. Thank and you. And I'm always so excited about just the, the, the legacy that you are already building for your children and just the work that is, I feel, unfolding for you right now. Like you're just getting started. I feel like you, you, you place, you were running in your warm up shoes and then you went, you went back, you know, when I don't run. Okay. So I'm just taking this from my kid who runs. So you go and you go to the running store when you really get serious, when the competition is for real, when you're taking yourself seriously and you get fit for running shoes. And so when I hear your bio being read, I go, <clears throat> that was the warm up. 
We're not even okay. here for the like custom fit. And it's so exciting to me. So thank you so much for joining me. So thank one you. of the things, we, oh, I have a bevy. Look, y'all, I wrote down like my for real, for real list. Oh, you can't see it because the light's too bright. Um, I wrote down my for real list of questions. And the first question I want to know is, Ify, how did you first, when did you first know that we go together? Oh my goodness. When did I first know? Well, let me tell you this. The moment that I realized that we were kindred souls yes. was after you'd read something that I had written and you sent me this quick little text and you said, you sound like a, I don't know, 1800s British author of a yes. romance novel. And I said, she knows me. She knows me. She knows my childhood. <laughs> so, <laughs> Filled with books, trying to understand the things my parents would not tell me. They would so, not tell us. Not, not tell me. And then, of course, fast forward, when you're in your 20s, and you're like, ah, you're not married. We have these children. I'm like, for 25 years, I was not allowed to talk to anyone. And now exactly. And all of a sudden, you're like, and so about, their, about your husband. Right. That's and it. I know the chat's probably going crazy right now with the folks are like, mm-hmm, that's a word. And I remember when I read your writing for the first time, like really read it, I remember like, so y'all, Evie and I have this in common. We grew up reading romance novels. And so um, I come from a household, I'm a first gen American. And my dad was just so excited that I wanted to read that he actually didn't care what I read, which is hysterical. So my drug of choice at that time was Harlequin romance novels. Yes. And in fact, Fabio was my favorite. And you know, we discussed this, his long flowing hair, it brushed past my soft sloped shoulder, the way in which his eyes looked at me longingly. Child, I was in the fourth grade. I don't know what I knew about who's gonna love on me, touch me and look at me longingly, but I was ready. That's and so right. that, our love of reading goes way back. That's right. That's <laughs> I love that. But the but the what people don't know about you, I think, is that even though that was the moment you and I first decided we go together, that's when you knew. I knew from the minute I met you. I was all the way in your circle long before you had actually let me in. So I was I was a trespasser on your heart. You just didn't know. So one of the things I think is really important for us to talk about is this idea of relationship. And right now, many of us have been home for 18 weeks, 20 weeks. We have been home for a long time. It feels like forever. And this idea about building relationships has taken a complete turn, right? Like we, there's so many articles. I've written articles about it. You've written about it, about how relationships are built in our form. So the thing that I'm curious about is what does it take to build an authentic relationship now? I love that question. You know, I think it's different for everyone. I just know that, here's what, here's what I can say. I can, I can think about what I'm seeing play out for people, especially mm -hmm. as they're juggling work, juggling family, juggling childcare, thinking about the upcoming school year, how I'm going to make that work. The women that I talk to, like we're retired, right? Like we are reti retired. Tired. You're exhausted. 
And for me at this stage, like I'm not really willing to pretend anymore. So when someone asks me how I'm doing, or I ask you how you're doing, and I don't feel like the answer you're giving me is real, that's telling me everything I need to know already. Right. So I think like just that level of authenticity, like you have to be able to say the thing, even if it is just today is today. And that says a whole lot, like just today, today is today. So I think that's number one. And then I think number two, just conserving your energy, which has always been true. So Mm -hmm. I love the Zoom space. And I also know when I've had too much. And so I'll say, I could talk to you, but we're going to do it while I'm walking. I could talk to you, but we're going to do it while I'm doing this, right? So the ability to be real with someone in that moment to say, I want to connect, but on on my schedule, in the way that I prefer, those things are crucial. And I think that's one of the things that you've really taught me is about being comfortable with our own boundaries. I remember the very first time you were like, so you want to walk and talk at 7 a.m. three weeks from now when I'm in New York for 24 hours? And I was, I looked at my phone like, does she know that I live an hour from where she's going to be? But my response was, sure, I'll figure it out, you know? And what was so crazy about that, that's so funny, I remember that, is that I realized like at that moment, oh, I'm not actually really comfortable with setting real boundaries. I'm actually pretty darn accessible. You know, like most people know or have my cell phone number and my business line. Oh, you can't get me in a business line? Call my cell phone. People, most people know I wake up really early in the morning. And so it is not uncommon for a text to be waiting for me when I wake up at six, you know, and I'm not complaining about it because I am an introvert, same as you. You just, your pendulum swings so much further out, you know? Um, I, I do love and crave the company of folks. And I like to be in the know. I'm real nosy. I think that's what makes me a good fundraiser. But I hadn't figured out how, like, how to create space and boundaries. So how have people reacted, particularly because in your work, I mean, you are not a headhunter. You are a connector. You are a broker, a door opener. You show people the things and the ways, you know, which I love about the work you do. So like when someone is looking for their biggest investment, typically their home, and so their work home, they get really close to the broker. They get really close to that person who they spend day in and day out for weeks and feel a connection that's real in the moment, but it doesn't mean you're coming over for the names on Sunday, I'm just saying. So how are you able to navigate that and how can you, how can women think about that particularly when now home used to be off limits to work and now everybody's in your house? It is, it's so, it's such a good question and it's a difficult one and it's taken me years in the making and honestly, a lot of starts and stops, right? So I know that there are just a couple of things that work for me. So number one, three years ago, I don't know, I think I was reading the book Sprint and the author is this guy named Jake Knapp and he has another book called Make Time. And he sort of walked through how he had figured out how to make his cell phone an actual phone. And I was blown away by that. I'm like, what does he mean by that? Create an I, actual I, phone? Please break it down. Like remember when we had meltdown, just so remember, you know. remember when we had phones? Like yeah. we're old enough, young enough, whatever that is. Oh, to I got know. my freshman year of college and I was ready and I had minutes. Right. Right. But we remember pre that where, you know, you know, your parents' phone number, we actually had phones. And so the first step was I removed email completely from my phone three years ago. 
never looked back. So no personal email, no work email, done. Um, so I so I can't I can't check. So that natural tendency, as a, as opposed to trying to shame myself into oh why don't I have more discipline, I just remove. I just remove the temptation. I don't have the ability to respond in that way. Number two, my phone is on do not disturb, 24, 23 hours and 70, whatever it is, like 50 minutes of the day. And it stays on do not disturb and on airplane mode. I have eight phone numbers that will ring through. And you already know what it is, right? Like my siblings, my mother, my husband, that's it. You don't have a phone yet. They're still in the same. <laughs> I just wait for one of them to win. That's it. That, that's it. And so that's huge in terms of I will call you, but when I am ready to check, not me reacting to when you are ready to talk to me. And that might seem harsh, but I can't get that work done any other way and still have something for myself without setting those boundaries. And the third thing I would say is I've just tr I've also just trained through that. I've trained people. Right, I've sort of trained people to not expect an immediate response from me. I will get to you, and when I am with you, you're with me. You will have I am with you. You will never catch me doing that annoying thing that people do when they're talking to you and looking at their phone and texting. Other in my house, you walk into my house, you have to put the cell phone down on the bench, and you come and sit down. Turn your phone over. If you don't, I'll make a pointed comment, a not so nice comment, like things look really busy. Do you need to like step outside and? You know, handle that and then come back when you're ready. Oh, the shame! I, I'm not afraid to do that because it's oh rude. It's rude. It's disrespectful, yeah. right? I would just be sliding my phone in my purse. We went to dinner a couple of months ago before the whole thing. I think actually one of the last meals I had out with friends was with you. And I remember being at the table and I knew I had like 1,047,235 things that were happening. And I <laughs> I remember looking around and you made a comment about not having your phone and I sort of just like slid my phone into my purse. I didn't even like, nobody, I don't think anybody saw me, I just kind of just slid it. And then when I came, my child had called me 19 times because people are used to the access and that immediate response. So for many of us who don't have our own business, like you and I are in a place and space that we have the luxury of setting the rules. And there's still some rules we have to play by. So we're going to talk about that. But we do, we can set some rules. But for folks who are in organizations whose cultures dictate this on response, emails coming in the middle of the night, no delayed send, all of the sort of norms that literally raise your blood pressure, how do they, how do we take a step forward? to creating healthy boundaries that add years to our lives, sanity to our minds, agency to the way that we govern ourselves. Cause I feel like it's, it's not easier said than done. You said that, but it, it kind of feels like, okay. So, so what's step one, not even step 29, just first step. I think we have to move away from trying to manage our time and focus on managing our energy. So, that's, you know, I've, I've had to have those conversations with it. Like, this is when my energy is the highest. I will be online and available during these windows. And just being honest about what that looks like. And at the end of the day, if you have a good manager, and if you don't, that's a different conversation, we should talk. But if you have a good manager, 
they should be concerned about your output. Like, what are your actual outcomes? What are you producing? Not sort of this like fake FaceTime and are you responding to my text messages? Because I can guarantee you if you're doing that, you're actually not spending real time on the actual work. And quite frankly, people who work for me, if they are super responsive to me, I actually don't think they have their act together. And I will actually point it out. You're responding Whoa. too quickly to my emails and my messages, which tells me that you're not focused. You're not like putting yourself in focus mode and doing that deep work. And there's research to back it up. So, so I guess to answer your question in terms of like what's step one, I think for yourself, understanding how you thrive, when do you do your best work? When do you need that quiet time to do like your highest impact work? And then negotiating that time and space to do that and letting people know I will get back to you, but this is the time that I need to spend focusing on my highest priority, priority work. Does that, I mean, what do you? It, it, makes, it, make it makes perfect sense. It also made my whole stomach hurt. Say and more. <laughs> because for example, it made me feel like, what about when funder A, so we have about 116 people on this call right now listening in on our conversation. And I know folks are like, so about the grant deadline that this funder we've been chasing now wants by five o'clock or about this now seemingly urgent memo that needs to be created for the CEO to send out or this particular prospect that we have been circling around and circling around and now they finally landed and it feels urgent. Or when we get the statement, in the interest of time, I just wrote an article with my dear friend Ashley Helton about that, in the interest of time. People always say that with like a really high pitched voice too. Like they know it's wrong. They too were reading, you know, romance novels from the 1850s, I'm convinced. Um, so what then? Because I feel like work blocks are something that I've tried and that has, that works to a degree and then magically meetings get scheduled over it. So when my CEO or my VP of advancement, depending on where I fall in our organizational chart, how do I say to that person, hey, I saw that you put a, I know it's seemingly meaningless, meeting on my calendar, but I'm in the middle of trying to get X outcome out the door, I can't meet? It feels super scary and we're grown. I mean, it, and it is scary because asserting yourself and declaring that you are important as well can be a scary thing. And the, the thing that I've seen be most effective is that if you are in the habit of being responsive and sort of saying yes, then it's going to continue to happen. It's a pattern. You're just training someone. So it doesn't mean none of this. I didn't say any of this was easy. Mm -hmm. Right. But for my own sanity, it's what I've just decided is, is necessary. When I think about black women and I, I don't want to speak for you, Kashana, but I'm sure this is similar to, I mean, I watch my mom, I watch my mom work, work and then work some more and then work and then work some more and then work and then church and then the people and the community, the Nigerian community, the, this person's like, we're going to go here. We're going to make them, we're going to do this there was never a moment of rest. And I will say that in watching that, I think there's a, was at some point a badge of honor, right? Like this, this work, like I never, I could always handle it all. But also as I grew older, also recognition that my parents did all of that so that I wouldn't have to. And as I think about a future legacy for my children, 
it has to be one that includes this idea that black women were made for more than just labor. Yes. And I know that that's not, that's not all I'm here for is not just labor. And so the fact of the matter is to answer your other question around like, Oh, the urgent, the urgent memo, the, the thing. Sure. If you're talking about $10 million and you want me to knock out my day so I can get this done. That's a hard, that's a high like ROI fine, but it has to be things that we could not have foreseen. But if your manager is always late, always last minute for things that were foreseeable, then that's a different conversation that we now need to have. And I will tell you that one of the most freeing things is when you actually have not seen the email. So that's why I encourage people to just take it off. I put some people on do not disturb over the weekends. I so mean, I won't even I, see I it. I've learned that from you. I just want to say- I won't even see it. Some people are on in favorites. And in my phone, people rotate in and out of favorites if we're working on something, if there's something that's deadline specific, if there's something happening with someone's family, and I know I'm going to step in, um, I'll step them up and then I'll step them down. Mm -hmm. And not because they are more or less important, but this idea of energy, you just said something that rocked me. And on my phone, is my watch is buzzing because the chat is going wild right now. Like, I'm not even looking because I know folks want to, they're dying to ask us questions. But one of the things you just said about watching our mothers, I remember when I was in my early, I got married when I was 25 and my daughter 26. And I remember saying to my ex-husband very early on, we were, he was younger than I was two years. So we're young, right? We're in the 20s, we don't know anything. And I said to him that I wanted to stay at home. Like I went to college and I got, a, I got my MBA when I was 21. Like I'm smart, right? Like I was like, well, since we're here, which is how I ended up in fundraising, just so you know. I was like, well, since we're here, might as well get credentials, you know, like, and I remember saying to him, like, what I want to do is be able to build a family and then pursue things creatively, because I'm not always make money. I got my nickname Cash Diggy when I was 11. You know, Wu-Tang Clan, Cash Rules, everything around me came out, and I was like, hello? It was like my theme song. It still is. So it wasn't about money or making money or the ability to work. I just had a really clear idea from a childhood about how I saw my life. And the comment that he made to me, no judgment to him, was, well, my mother worked full time and raised us. Like, I don't understand what's the problem. And I said, but your mother is so angry. Why do you want that for me? Oh, we've had the conversation. This is not new news. The man looks, he knows. I don't said all the things. Um, and she was angry and exhausted. And I said, why would you want that for me? That's like early frown lines and so much stress. Why wouldn't you want me to be carefree? Why wouldn't you want me to be loose, to be creative? And fast forward years later, solo mama of one kid, what do you think that I do the most? Work. So you just hit the nail on the head. Look, my phone is buzzing again. You just hit the, the nail on the head that we have to be more than work. We're more than work. We're, we're more than work. And I think that Again, a lot of what I do is guided by this deep sense of obligation to Nigerian parents who literally left everything they knew in pursuit of something bigger for, the, their, for their children. And I think one of the greatest legacies that they've left is this, they taught, they taught us the rules so that we could break them. And that is, that is the legacy. Like you taught me the rules, thank you. And because I know them and I understand them, now I can break them. I left, I left a job where folks were trying to get me to become an executive director. And I just, I didn't have a job lined up. I was like, look, I'm pretty confident. 
I could make exactly what I'm making. And I was out the door because I looked at the other executives around me and I was about to get married and all of them, all the people who were married were unhappy or about to get divorced and no one was talking about it. And I was like, I know what, I, what I'm not about to do, right? And so we're not gonna pretend, we're not gonna pretend it's one way when it's another way to quote the wire, right? Like you want things to be one way, but it's actually another way. It's another way, it's another way. And so we're gonna have that conversation and if it's not working, and not to suggest that that's for the right thing for everyone, but just to acknowledge that if you can't, if we're not practicing that muscle of saying yes to ourselves, yeah, then we're not going to be able to do it when it comes time for salary negotiations. We're not going to be able to do it when it's time to hire a financial advisor. Ooh. We're not going to be able to do it when it's time to, right? I mean, all the things, when it's time to get, get the money in the 529 plan for your kids or talk, get your wills in order, get your estates in all of those things require hard conversations. What happens if something happens to me, you know, to my husband and to me, who's going to take care of it and putting that in a will? Like those are hard things that we don't talk about, but we have to start small with, I'm actually going to take two hours to do my deepest work and I'm not going to respond to emails. If you can't do that, you're going to have a really hard time with some I mean, of the bigger things. That is connective tissue like I, like you cannot believe. I know I know I'm I'm just blown and it speaks to the discipline. And it's an interesting thing. I was looking the other day at some, you know, there's a lot of articles floating around now, particularly during the time that we're living in, about all types of ways that folks can refocus. And there's there's a commentary that says, if you didn't learn a skill, start a business, read 27 books, twirl around three times, drop 15 pounds, then you haven't done anything with your life. And then there's the other school of thought that's like, hey, hi, welcome to breathing. Welcome. It's probably the first time you've ever done that. Okay, let me know how that goes. Oh, you can't sleep? Join us. You know, and so there's like all these trains, there's all these like different commentary. And some of the, um, the fodder that I see over and over again is about applying yourself to the new normal. And so my question for you is when you're thinking about the space we're in right now, this moment of time. How do we shed some of the habits that we've had and employ a different type of discipline? Because you, when I think, when I hear you speak, I'm like, is that nature or nurture? You know, like the discipline is serious. Like I'm always like, note to self, get more discipline like Ify, check. Um, and there are very few people who are like that. And I see that as a manager, particularly when I was full-time in-house, that many times folks of color, particularly, uh, and for me, I'm most paying attention to other women of color and to black women in, um, in particular, are, are phenomenal operators, subject matter experts, content experts. We know our, we know the work, we can get in there and get the work done. But when it comes to the production, the documentation, the time on task, the being able to apply rigor, I struggle. And then as a manager, helping to have folks see their path to goal, how do I hold folks to a line I can barely hold myself to? So as we think about all of the studies that talk about how much time you should spend, when to do deep work, the five things that leaders do every day, and then we layer on, hello, woman of color, marginalized community person, lived experience might look different than yours, and work now, where does discipline fit into all that if you didn't really have it and you were faking it till you make it? Mm, that is such a good question. 
So I want to push on something that you're saying though about this yeah. discipline. Yeah. I would actually suggest that I'm probably one of the most, like I would not call myself a disciplined person. My husband wouldn't call me a disciplined, like I don't think anybody would. If you like, they don't, because I don't believe that that's something you have in spades. I think it is, mm. it's like, a, it, it fatigues, right? You've got a limited amount and then we all just default back to like, what we well, want. we know. Like, well, we know what we want. Okay, and so like, and so, I don't believe in that. Actually, I don't. What I do believe, though, is trying to make things as simple as possible, so I don't have to think. So, going back to my example of the email thing, that has nothing to do with discipline. I'm actually not disciplined. If I have email, I will check it. That's just a fact. What it does mean, though, is if it's not there, I can't check it, right? Or so I give my team three weeks off every December. I said, we shut down for three weeks, we're not taking any class, and then it's off. And I'm so serious about it that I deactivate their email, deactivate mine, I make up a fake like email, I just type in random stuff, so I don't know what it is. So I make it really hard. Like So now if I wanna get back on that email, I'm gonna have to call Google, I'm gonna have to do some stuff. They're gonna have to take extra steps. Like we're all going to have to engage in a lot of work to if check that email. Serious? I'm so serious because- My the thing is, is like, we're gonna do it this year like so we're like two weeks off we're doing one week in august i'm doing a hard week in august following on your i think you did a month last year i did a, i did five weeks five, five weeks last year. year i'm not there yet. i'm, I'm a year out okay it's okay it's okay we are doing two weeks in december and so i had not i had, i had not could delete her. and i am serious yeah. i'm serious when a client i was on the phone with my colleague and a potential client was on the phone and she said, hey, can you send this thing tomorrow? And my colleague, and I get it, was about to say, yeah. And I said, actually, I came back and I felt bad. I said, actually, she can't, she actually can't do it because I'll be deactivating her email. And so it, today's the day, we can't get anything else. We will talk to you in three weeks. And what I will say though, going back to this piece about adapting about discipline is that because we have prioritized putting certain things in place. It just then makes the decisions easy. So let me give you three quick examples. So number one, so I said I quit my job and I didn't have anything lined up. That is true. But what I did not mention is that my husband and I had planned intentionally, this was advice we were given to only live on one person's salary so that if anyone ever lost a job or wanted to just go out, we wouldn't have to ask or be like, but what about the money? We already knew how to live a one person salary. So it's putting in place systems like that, that then lead to the other things being easy, right? Number two, emergency fund, right? If you've got six months of revenue in a reserve fund, saying no to a client because they're not the right fit or the right partner or the right whatever, or I can't talk to you for three weeks, doesn't feel like the end of the world because it's, if nothing else comes after that, we'll still be fine because I've put that thing in place. And then the same thing from like a financial perspective, we had to get a financial advisor and that changed the game. Once we had everything in place, the reserve, the this, the that, then it makes other choices about, am I taking this call or not? Do I wanna honor my commitment to my daughter about playing, having an indoor snowball fight at 6 p.m.? Do I wanna honor X, Y, and Z? it makes those things so much easier if the yeah. temptation is just gone. Does that make the difference that between the discipline? And, and the word choices that you're using, 
really means that we have to speak to ourselves in a certain way. Do I honor this choice? As opposed to do I tell my daughter, you know what I mean? Like you just, you use particular, like word choices. And I'm like, the way you have to minister to yourself is important. The thing that made my hair stand up on the back of my head is I, you know, I went to a whole business school. I got a couple of degrees from there, you know. And my husband is a financial planner. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you what we did. None of those things. Money was going home. This auntie, this cousin, so-and-so, younger brother. I was the family bank. My daddy was the family bank. Many of us have lived situations in which the even when we start to see the light to be able to have disposable income to get us beyond our weekly, monthly expenses, we have things pulling on us that it feels like we have no control over. So mm -hmm. how do we navigate Ooh. the stuff that we can't even bring to the job? We can't tell our employer that, hey, you actually can't wait five weeks to pay me for my first paycheck because I actually don't have the credit limit. And even if I did, I have to pay for my grandfather's care, also my rent or mortgage, and give my younger brother money for school. Like, how do, we, how do we step forward when some of us have that weight that we're carrying? Stick around for Efi answering questions from listeners of this live recording. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back in a few. Did you know women of color in the social sector are most likely to have an advanced degree, but least likely to hold a leadership role within an institution or organization. Instead, they are most likely to hold a line staff role with significant unseen barriers to promotion and advancement. A poignant reality is that most Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the social sector often work under a cloak of invisibility, which can make working relationships and progression a real challenge. This is one of the reasons why the Rooted Collaborative exists to amplify and empower our female voices while providing community, culture, and coaching that honors a healthy career experience. The Rooted Collaborative is a global community focused on the holistic evolution and advancement of female leaders of color in the social impact sector. Our goal is simple. We will help you cultivate your unique, personal, professional, and wellness goals that will help you design and live a purpose-driven life. With a growing online community that spans over 16 countries, including the US, Canada, the UK, and South Africa, we've learned a thing or two about building relationships that extend beyond borders. It's kinda our superpower. Don't believe us? Cool. Pull up a seat and get ready to be empowered, encouraged, and equipped for the life and the career that you deserve. Join the Rooted Collaborative today by visiting therootedcollaborative.com and click on membership so that you can join us. Now, let's head back to take this offline. Yeah, it's so it's so challenging. So I mean, you and I both come from a, from cultures where I don't care how much money my parents have, I still be sending money back. It doesn't matter. I owe them. Y'all like my mom did such a nice thing. I was so nice. This is 
my mom. She's so extra. Not like me. Not like me. I'm such a simple girl. Right, 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 right. But, like, you, but you know what I mean, right? Like, we're always going to do that. And I still remember my first job. I was in high school and I got my, you know, when you still got the paper check. My mom was like, I was like, oh, look. And she was like, she looked, she like gave me her hand. And I was like, excuse me. You're looking around like, what like, she's like, and She was like, you give your first check to your parents and thank them for everything. I was like, what? This is not what my white friends have told me. I hope it's okay that I said that. That is not what they're doing. They're like going to Wendy's or whatever, but I have to like give me my first check. But my point is I, I honor that. I respect it. I love it about our culture. I love the fact that it is communal. It is, it is, it is a, it is a part of our tradition and I think it is beautiful and it's needed. And that's, that's why I'm here, right? Someone did that for my parents, right? So I, I understand. And what our financial planner helped us understand was again, put on your own oxygen mask first. Cause if I don't have anything, when stuff really, you know, sort of hits the fan, I won't be able to help. I won't be able to help if I don't, if I don't have my things together. I can't give if my, my cup is empty. I cannot, I cannot give. And so what we've had to do is we just basically have a percentage and we make it clear to everyone, like, this is actually how much is in the bank. So let's say it's like a thousand dollars for the year. When it's gone, it's gone. Right. And it's like, people want loans. Then we then we replenish, then we, well, then we have, and I've got a monthly allocation that just, I don't even see it. It just goes straight to my mother and that's it. But I just have the system in place so I don't have to think about it. And in terms of that question with, you know, employers who, you know, make all these assumptions that you can put up on credit, et cetera, I think we have to be able to say, and we don't have to give all the reasons, right? Which is like, you could actually say, this is actually when I need to get paid. So when am I gonna get paid? Then that's what I'll then that's when I'll be able to start, and I don't think I have to explain myself. I really do. I don't think I have to give you my personal my personal story if I don't feel like it's a safe thing to do. I would never tell anyone to do something they don't feel is actually safe. safe. Mm -hmm. And yet, many of us step into workplaces that actually are inherently unsafe. And some of us, for some of the reasons we just talked about, right, the allocation, the unseen, the families have to choose stepping into places that are unsafe. And so when we think about um, how we build in those safe spaces and in those unsafe spaces, I think about one of the series that you wrote. And if y'all have not gone to just slide on over to LinkedIn, press pause on this when y'all get to it and slide on over to LinkedIn and put in the hashtag, Dear Imara, dear Imara, and you know, I remember the very first time that I saw one of your longer form writings, it wasn't that, but the first time I was like, just caught up in the rapture was one of the uh, first posts I think you wrote about Amara, who is your daughter. And you started writing this love letter and y'all, I'm actually gonna read just a quick little excerpt to you because there's a point I really want y'all to hear on this. Um, and it just brought home for me that you have to be able to advocate for yourself early and often. And we can't be bold in going out and seeding investments for our organizations, particularly when they are not our missions, because there are founders who are on the line who are like, you just got to go hard or go home. But many of us do that for missions that actually are not ours. And it was, uh, it was a post that you wrote about your rights 
And so I'm going to read it really quickly so we can dig into it because it just wrapped me right together and gathered me up. And it says, Dear Amara, you have a right to know that you can pick your boss. First of all, I just stopped right there. What? We have a choice? Like when we're interviewing, I'm not, I'm not, ooh, look at the word I'm going to use, selling myself? Whoa, hold on. Look for a super boss by asking your prospective boss these questions at some point during the interview process. Y'all, get your pens ready, okay? One, how and when will I receive advice about career development and career advancement? Two, how do you give advice on how to navigate organizational politics? Can you provide an example of the last person you gave advice to around organizational politics? I said, wait a minute. But they're like, we only have time for one more question. Do you have any questions you want to ask? And I'm like, actually, I have a few. Okay, number three. Who in the organization is most often nominated for opportunities? Can I have examples of that? I fell out, okay? You just told them without telling them, y'all. Could you share an example of a time when you had to defend the work of someone on your team? And who was it? How are stretch assignments assigned in this organization? And this is a critical question, Ify, that you laid out because part of how we grow are through stretch assignments. Actually, 70% of your professional development are through stretch assignments, 20% through mentoring and or sponsorship, and only 10% through even convenings like this. So if y'all don't get a word, grab a mentor and a friend, you only got 10% of the hundred you need, okay? And so then you go further and say, what were those last, what were the last three stretch assignments you assigned and who did they go to? And you went on on that thing. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, Ify. This is when you just, you snatched my edges and didn't even know it. That every time I need a stretch assignment to grow as a professional, I have to get a new job. So every job is a stretch, as opposed to being in a role and being able to flex and spread my wings and fly away. You see, you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. What does Absolutely. that do to me as a black woman? What does that do to me as a woman of color? What does that do to me as a professional? That the only way that I can stretch is when I step onto a new plane I don't know, without support, advocacy, sponsorship, camaraderie, community? What? How, how does that even happen, Evie? I, I'm, I'm just like, I mean, we know why it happens, right? On, we know we we we, we 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 know the systems as they are designed, right? And so, there's research out there that you know boards, organizations are in times of crisis, right? Are much more likely to promote white women, black women, Asian women, men of color, but much more likely to put us in those situations when they think. It's, it's a setup, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's ripe for failure, right? So it's stressful is what it is. And so this is where, you know, part of what I was trying to do in that question set was to help folks see what I would see, right? And so for those of you who don't know, I run an executive search firm, right? So we work with clients all across the country on these big C-suite jobs, CEO positions, chief product officer, chief development officer, all these C-suite roles. And there was this moment a couple of years ago where I was talking to black woman after black woman after black woman, right? Who's 
having a conversation with me, they've gone to apply for a job and they would say, Ify, I'm hearing I'm too much. I'm hearing I'm too little. I'm hearing that I talked about my degrees, but they asked me about my degrees. There was, they, they're asking me to, I'm too academic. I'm too this. I sound elitist. I don't sound smart enough. There's always a thing. And they would ask me, these women, mostly black women would ask me, what am I doing wrong? What, what, what am I doing wrong? And I was, I was in this, this like difficult, like weird space where I was also hearing what board members were saying. Right. I was in the room with CEOs and board members as they were saying things like, oh, you know, Kashana's great, but, you know, I just think that all the things on her resume are BS, which I've actually like, right. literally like a direct quote. Literally. Right. Or, right. Or like, right. Like not about you specifically, but like about somebody. Right. Like, I'm it's, saying her about no, me. It's, know, it's not, it's not, about, you. It not about you. It was not about you. But I know I was saying to somebody in the room about <laughs> not me. Not about you. Not about you. But <laughs> I want, but I wanted to close that gap because we're thinking it's us. We're thinking that we're put in these pla- these positions where we don't have the tools that we need. When actually, this has nothing to do with you. Like the facts are the facts. Like, if your name is different, it's going to be harder. You're going to be asked to do more with less. They're not going to ask, you know, offer you the salary rate salary that you actually deserve. Like, here are the things I want you to know that are true, and also understand that this pressure we put on ourselves. Like, I got to mm-hmm. close this gap. I got to make all the, do all these things. It's a two hundred. There's a two hundred and twenty eight year wealth gap right and also like leadership gap we are not going to close that gap in our lifetime that's a hard pill to swallow and we can and this is what i believe this is why i tell myself my job is to run my leg of this race as fast as i possibly can and pass the baton right that's that's what i can do and so part of that is acknowledging that yes it is it is a setup and it is not fair. And no matter what you do, you're never going to be able to fully correct for the gap. And there are still some things you can try. So for example, we have coached people on, ask for the executive assistant. When you hear about this big job, make sure you get an executive assistant. Ask for a chief of staff. You know I learned that the hard way, right? Right, ask for these things. And ask I for them. I thought I was a failure, but Ethy, I thought I was a failure. I know, but not. The only two times in my 17 years, so 14 years before I left full-time, and now I've done some interim roles where I have been in and out of, in and out of housing. So 14 years, two times that I had an executive assistant, any kind of admin just dedicated to me. Those are the two bursts in my whole career where I raised more money. It was like replicating myself. I felt like Superwoman. I was like, what do you need me to do? <laughs> and I was ready because I could properly delegate That's right. part of the things that allowed me to accelerate, to be able to like leverage relationships, to torpedo through ridiculous goals and growth campaigns with no sustainability done uh, built into it and no prospecting done at the front. I mean, this madness. And I felt like a failure because, well, you mean the only way that I can be successful is if I have help? <laughs> right. But it's true, but it's, it's true in all the things, right? It's true at home. I mean, especially now with a number of us figuring out like, what are we going to do with childcare? And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to die. I'm not trying to be a martyr. I'm not. So these are the things that we need to ask. And so we have coached people to say, you have to ask about these resources and, and not asking doesn't, you don't get any brownie points because you're going to fail on the other side. So you need to ask now. And that's actually a sign that you understand what this job is. 
and what it isn't. And if they're not prepared to support you by giving you those resources, like that's actually an answer. That's a gift. You need to know that before you say yes to the organization or to the opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, I just think, and first of all, you know, I'm looking at all of the comments and the questions that are coming in. I want to make sure that we're able to answer some of the questions that our audience members have, but some of the comments between, wow, folks are like, we need to meet after so we can have a conversation. <laughs> Where is the link? Um, and folks are like, you know, um, that they have, the pot isn't always big enough to hold you, time to transfer it to a place where you have the room to grow. Um, someone else said, they always have a reason. I am exhausted. Someone else said, my CEO told me no one appreciates my vocabulary. Uh, what? What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Okay. Someone says, um, they literally cannot leave me on my own this evening. Ah, that's us. That's us. That's us. That's us. Um, and it's just really, okay, I'm seeing if I can go through. Let me see if I can have an actual question because the comments are amazing. Okay. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. This is something that you have um, a special lens into. You know, you are in boardrooms. You are in the ear of CEOs. Your clients are the executive search uh, committees for C-level jobs, um, C-suite jobs and C-suite roles. And for most of my career, um, I probably after my second role, I moved into that getting recruited space, which is where the search firms come a knocking. Hey, hello, I have this fantastic role. Do you know anyone in your, in your Twitter sphere? You mean me? And so the question is about the culture of secrecy around salaries. How can we challenge the pay gaps in our organizations? And I'll go one click further and get to the meat before we waste our time going into searches where we know it should be a four-step process, right? A screen, an interview, a team day, maybe a, an exercise and a reference check, but oftentimes for professionals of color and particularly for black women, or then they end up being seven steps or eight steps or 27 references checked as opposed to the four we heard are getting checked. So how do we navigate that culture of secrecy um, both in our own organizations and as we go out to seek opportunities? So great question. So here's what our firm does. We, we will not work with a client that is not willing to post a salary range. So that's how, that's how strongly we believe in it. So we don't tolerate any kind of nonsense about like, oh, we can't publish it. People are going to ask for the highest number. Like the facts actually don't bear that out. What we have seen happen though, is that when you post the range, uh, we actually had a client where they were getting ready to make an offer to a black leader and knew what his number was. And it was within the range, which we had forced them to, to publish. And then actually tried to go back and say like, we, we want you to go back and ask what he made before. And we refused. We said like, that is essentially, you are exacerbating an existing problem or people of color are oftentimes underpaid and you cannot base a salary based on someone's, what does it have to do? It's completely irrelevant completely. with the job, the current job that you want him to do. So number one, seeking out search firms that also demand that kind of, that demand that sort of transparency from their clients because it can be done. This idea that you can't do it, it's not true. We, we have plenty of clients whole, who are open to business. that. A whole business around, around this whole principle. Business. Whole business, right? <laughs> Number two, you have to ask. 
you have to ask. And there's a way that you can do it that just says, look, I want to respect your time. And I want to ensure that we're at least in the same, in the same ballpark. So what is the range? And if they keep tap dancing, ask the question again. And then if they won't, then put out your number. And then don't let them take you through a process until they actually confirm that that number, like, what does that number make you think? Is that number within the range? They yeah. should be able to give you an answer. If they can't give you an answer, again, that is your answer. That is your answer. That actually is your answer. And so often we want it to be something, like we want it to be one way, but it's another, well, it's another way. It's actually another way. It's actually another way. And so like that, they are giving you the information you need, but you've got to be willing to ask. The last thing I would say is practice asking for that number. Ooh. I have an entire post about this where- You made me do it. You did with me. Did I make you do it? You I like, made you practice. You right? like, your voice is that word, that word choice you're using right there. That's what makes some of those board members in here stand up. Choose this word. Do it again. And I remember when you first walked me through that exercise, I was so annoyed. Not at you, but just like annoyed at the idea that I had to practice my word choice so that it landed in such a way that it made folks comfortable. And you were like, I would like to focus on the outcome. Hi. <laughs> right. Right. Because you have to. And I had to practice. And I did. And I had to say it out loud. And you were like, yeah, it still sounds fake. Try that again. And we do that as fundraisers. You're supposed to. You're supposed to practice your ask. You're supposed to practice your objections. You're supposed to make sure that you're anticipating that. So it's not abnormal. It's not out of the, out of the realm of reality. But when it comes to advocating for ourselves, oftentimes we find ourselves in the place of, I need to get this job. I've got to move. My family, myself, the place I'm in is crazy. I have to go. And so then you, you let go of. Right what you know is true about what you need to do to be able to thrive. Cause I think, you know, that's been a bit of a critical thing, not surviving, thriving. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's, so the thing is like, so there's research behind how to do this. So for most of us, especially for women, if we understand and we are think and we think about who we're doing it for, we're much more likely to be successful. So we have a hard time thinking about doing it for ourselves. But if we think about, okay, this will allow me to do something for my parents. This will allow me to do something for my child. This will allow me to, you know, do this or give back in this way in the community or whatever the thing is. Then we are much more likely to be successful. Not that we say these things in the ask, mm -hmm. but we think about them, right? So I know that if I'm going into, uh, there, was an, there was an opportunity a couple, a couple of years ago where I actually just flat out just asked another white leader, how much are you charging for your searches? Right? How much are you start charging your clients? And I was blown away. Blown away. He was like, was, oh, you want to know how much I make? Let me send you my kid. It has the price. <laughs> I was like, you put your prices? And so if you go to my website right now and you want to you book me as a speaker, download my kit. The price is on there. Mm -hmm. And I was amazed. And so the day that I moved it to what he made, I was like, no one's going to book me ever again. I was booked 38 times last year. Just saying. But the, but the thing is that's important there is like who you're asking also matters too. So it's not enough to ask another woman because we're all being underpaid. So you have to go and ask another man and specifically go and ask a white man what he'd ask for. Not what he thinks you should make, but what he would be asking he for, what, what he would ask for. And then add like a little 10% 10, 10 just on GP because you're making up for lost time, right? So like, <laughs> you're making up for lost time. Okay. You're making up for lost time. So you, you, have, you have to do that, but just recognizing that 
you, you've got to be able to think about that number. And for me personally, when I'm about to do something that's making me uncomfortable, the thing that has helped me usually move forward is asking myself, this is for me, when I'm telling my daughter this story Ooh. 10 years from now, you went there. what will I want to have, what do I want to say I did, right? Do I want to say that I was afraid and yet I tried anyway and maybe it didn't work out? Do I want to say I was afraid and I just, I didn't, I didn't try? Like just thinking about the, my future self, the story I'm going to have to tell her about what I did yeah. has been super helpful in helping ground me when I'm in those negotiations that make me uncomfortable and also reminding myself that no matter what I'm doing, there is a long line of women behind me, like people before me, who had to do more with less than I've ever had, right? And if they could do that, they, they could do all that, then surely I can take a risk and try to. I think that is so comforting. And speaking of risks, you know, one of the things that I, I wonder about is about having it all. And in our desire to have the house and have the partner, if that is your choice, and have the children, if that is your choice, and have the lifestyle and have the job, uh, can we have it all? And in fact, that's the question that was in the app. In this time of COVID, I read an article the other day that said, you know, we're trying to juggle children and caregiving and working long hours and all the things. Is it actually possible to have it all? What do you think? Uh, no. I want to know what you think. I mean, it's a quick no. I think, oh, no. I don't even think, I don't even, when people ask me about work-life balance, I burst out laughing every time, like it's the funniest joke. I think you can have a pendulum swing. There are times in your work life where you swing up in terms of your workload, in terms of the things you're managing, in terms of um, the balls that you need to juggle. And then there are times that you ebb, it's the ebb and flow, you swing the other way and it's family time, et cetera. And so for me, a couple things need to be true. One, you've got to get off of autopilot and be paying attention to what is actually happening in your life at work and at home. And so not just putting one foot in front of the other, and sometimes that's all we can do, but being able to have a one-month-out view, a two-month-out view, and if you're in a position of leadership, to be able to do that for your team. Part of your role as a manager is to be able to ask the questions. You don't have to get into what's private, but you know a little bit about what's personal, because then it allows you to be able to see, is this episodic? Is this ongoing? How do I navigate this? If you're not in the leadership seat, being able to put a foot forward, you don't have to give people all your details. But being able to say, I know we're stepping into, well, now healing season is, is changed forever. But even doing an online event is bananas, just so you know, we haven't slept in days. And so I'm stepping into campaign season. I know campaign season in normal years looks like X. And now we have these unknowns. It's going to look like at least this. And here's some things. What do I need to do to navigate that? And then can I plan for rest on the other side? Can I do smaller things daily? For me right now, it is, I walk, it's thunderstorming like crazy right now, but I normally walk three miles or so, two and a half miles every morning. And I get up out of my bed and I do not want to because y'all don't sleep good as it is. And so I'm trying to like get my little extra minutes, but I get up and I do that walk. To your earlier point about the, the taking away decisions, one of the things I did leading up into this time together is I stopped cooking. 
which sounds insane. My mom has been competing with the meal delivery service for the last three weeks. I just want you to know. I asked the lady to do my meal delivery. She did not want to do it. But once the meal started coming on time, all of a sudden she's here all the time. But just having the meals, my daughter just hands them to me. And then she'll be like, water, bathroom mom, water. Knowing that I'm in a high focus time and also I have my eye on August 15th and I'm doing my daily things to keep my sanity, my health, my prayer life, et cetera, that, kept, that keeps me marching toward when the pendulum is gonna swing back the other way. And so also, like I've been a fundraiser my entire career and a solo mama since I was four at EP. And so I spent most of my life unpartnered. Let me tell you what, these books, the TV has raised for nine part of the years. And if it wasn't for my parents, uh, the child would just be in the street. I don't know. Because there were some times that I was like, look, your mama hasn't really spoken to you in three days. I mean, here's your meal. And I had to start introducing some norms that made sense. I bought a regular dining table so that we could eat at the dining table. And I sat down and I put my phone away. Thank you. And we sat and we talked. And the first time she was like, what, what, what are we doing? But that's the way I grew up. So to the point, to the question of can you have it all, there are moments that you can have all of the things, but you might not be holding all of the things all at the same time. And things are going to spill out. And you've got to be able to be like, this spilled out. And have that conversation first with yourself and then with the people who are in orbit with the pieces of your lives that are going to be affected. And I think that requires you actually really paying attention to what you've got going on. What do you think? Absolutely. I second all of that. I don't, I don't think you can have it all at the same time. I really, I really just don't. I think you can have, you can have certain things like fully. And so there's this great book called Drop the Ball, which I would recommend. It's like the Black woman's Lean In um, by Tiffany Daffo. She's amazing. And she's, you know, worked in the Obama administration, does fancy things. She's got a new organization right now called The Crew. She's brilliant. And she just talks about this moment where, you know, she's partnered up, but she was just angry, right? And so a lot of us, so we're partnered, but, you know, we're angry because we're just like, we're still doing everything. And how, how did this work out? Like, this is not what I signed up for. I'm not signed up for. I didn't sign up for this. No. You know, we both have a job. So I don't understand what's, we have both have a job outside of the home. So I don't understand what's happening here. And so she had this moment where she's like, look, I've got to make the things that are the jobs that my partner's not seeing, we have to make these things transparent. So she like put everything down in the spreadsheet and then she, they sat down together and they started setting up the things. And the thing I wanna highlight here is that we have to get comfortable with not the idea of help, but just like responsibility, right? Cause I'm not gonna say my husband needs to help me raise the kids. These are your kids too. We're not, right. you're not you're helping me. You're helping me. You're not helping me. And my husband does not say that, by the way. Yeah, I want to be really no, clear. He does not say that. Well, no. there are people out here who know him and they're like, yeah. don't tell my husband I said that because that's not what, that's not what he thinks. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but my point is that that transparency opened it up. And then what happened was, so she had assigned her husband or he had signed up for the, he signed up for the dry cleaning. And he was like abroad, working abroad. And she's mad because the dry cleaning hasn't been picked up, hasn't, hasn't arrived, hasn't arrived. And then like five minutes before the day, the time it's due, it shows up at her door and it's actually being delivered, even though her husband's not here. And she calls her husband and she was like, how did this happen? And he's like, oh, our dry, our dry cleaner like delivers. 
I didn't go pick it up. That's what you did. But the way that I do it is I schedule someone to go and get it delivered. And she had never, she never, she'd been going there for like decades and did not know because she'd never asked. And so part of it is we have to also be okay with how things are done by the people we are enlisting as a part of our team. Ooh, you talking about releasing control? <laughs> releasing Listen, control. some of us don't have control or don't feel like we have control or agency at work. So the only way we can get it is at home or in the, in the church house or in our social organization. So you you are <clears throat> you asking me to choose to let go? I have my 37 steps, Evie. I like it to be done a certain go. way. I no. want it to hold it a certain way. And you want me to let it go? You gotta let it go. I mean, this is why we do things. So like I taught my ki- I taught my son who's eight now when he was four how to do laundry. Right. I literally was like, Little seven stool. Don't touch the bleach though, because that'll kill you. I did I did, I did, I did tell him that. That'll kill you. I'm not I don't do the lockup. We do, I mean, someone's probably gonna like sue me now, but whatever. He there he's old now, he's fine. Um, but he's been folding clothes and doing laundry since he's been four. And now I don't fold clothes. Like that is what they do. My kids, they fold clothes. They got to do other things because I'm not signing up for that. I, I have, a, you have a job. I have a job. It has a job. Y'all have to have a job. You all have jobs. And so do I love the way my clothes are always being folded? Absolutely not. I love it. I do not. But do like, I. are more wrinkled than when they came out of the dryer. But that's, a, but that's okay. But that's okay. But that's okay. Do I love the way that you wash the dishes? eight-year-old child no i do not but do i love not washing them yes i do yes, i do and will you be a good human to yourself and to someone else one day yes you will yes you will, yes, you will. Yes, and so you will. i have to accept as a member of my team it may not be done the way that i want it to be done but it is getting done and it means that i'm not i'm not doing it and that's that gets us closer we still can have it all but it gets us closer to getting more of what we want I love that. I'm just checking in the chat to make sure that we don't have any more big questions. Folks are like, I don't want it all. I want a life that serves others and brings me and my lovelies joy. I want to fully experience the moments and season I'm in. Someone else says, my mantra is, even Beyonce has to take a break. So, I mean, it's so good that folks are co-signing that. And so the thing I want us to end on is something I think is going to carry us um, for a long time, and that is value. We talk about values, but I think in our ride on the hamster wheel of busy, we forget what our core values are along the way. Some of us inherited them from when we were kids. We didn't get to decide what they are for ourselves. We forgot to stop and actually reassess them. So when you think about your actual core values, what are one or two values that do the nice crossover between your personal, your professional, relational and transactional, all the quadrants of your life? Mm. Well, I have this, there's a book behind me that says what you do is who you are or some version of that, right? I mean, it's like, that's it. It's not what you say, it's what you actually do. And I think one of those values in action is just like the willingness to constantly test. Like this is not a race for perfection it is constantly tweaking and saying, and being open to that. And so like a clear example of that is that when my daughter was about three or four, she like took a math book or some math flashcards or whatever and just like threw them on the ground and she was so angry. And she's like, 
it's so unfair. You always spend more time with Langston with, on math. And if you never spend time with, on math with me, I'm never going to learn how to do math. And she was like furious, like literally furious. furious. And in that moment, I was like, what is she talking about? Like, what? You're a child? Like, the way my parents would have never tolerated that. First of all. First of all, let's talk about that. Like, what? Dude, who who are you talking to? I might have thought I would have had a whole conversation and finger pointing <laughs> in my mind. In my mind. In my mind. My, my, in my mind. My face in my mind. Face, I would have had the best poker face, just regular. In my mind. In my in my mind. And but she doesn't do that. So different, different, different kind of life. But I asked, I said to her, okay, why don't we just get a timer? Let's get a timer and let's start timing how much time I spend with Langston versus you. And come to find out, she was right. I was spending more time with Langston and I was cutting into her time and I would always start with him first. Right. And so this idea that number one, um, just testing, right? Like being willing to say, like, I don't know if that's right or not, but let's test it out. Let's test. Right. So we do that at home, we do that at work, we do that at the firm. The second thing is that just remembering from a values perspective that people are not like, and just like kids, they're not going to remember what I say. They're going to remember what I do. So the fact that if I want Amara to be courageous and to stand up for herself, she has to see me doing it. Yes. In my personal relationships, in our relationship with her dad, in her relationship, all the things, all and the, the things. same, and the same thing at work. If I want my colleagues to be comfortable saying, drawing the line and saying, like, we're not going to do that, whether it's with the candidate or with whomever, they have to actually see me doing that too. And so just that value of they have to actually see it for them to actually do it. And that it doesn't really matter what I say. It actually matters what I do. Ooh, I love that. I just, that, I I think we're gonna, we're gonna end there with that one because I think that's just magic. Um, I, we have five more minutes and then we are going to stop. So is there someone in the audience who wants to ask Evie a question on camera? Let me just put, let me preface. Orkashana, Orkashana. Or me, no, but Evie, Evie's smart right here, okay. (laughs) Because, listen, y'all, don't give a whole song, a dance, a story, a tune, and a, and a song, okay? What, what is the question that you want to ask? I'm looking in the chat right now. I feel like, let me see if, I, if people can you raise your hands is the question. Let me see. So I'm in, if you're in Zoom, I am in Zoom looking to see if folks are raising their hand. Let me see if the option is available to do so. So, Kashana, there's some questions in the session Q&A next Let me bring that person up. Okay, so who should, let's pick some. Um, Nakia Johnson was the okay. first one she had uh, asked Good. Okay. a while ago. So Nakia, I'm going to bring you up. This is in alphabetical order, which is awesome. Da, 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 da. I see different. Oh, Nikki. Okay, Nikia Johnson. All right. I'm unmuting. I've asked you to unmute. And I've asked you to start your video. So you should have gotten both those requests for me. There we go. Oh, Crystal Rose came on. Wait a minute, that math didn't work. Okay, hold on. Hold on, Dr. Rose, hold on. I'm stopping your video so that, there we go. Okay, Nikia, you there? Can you, wait, did you go? I just saw, I just saw her. Can you hear me? I can, you can turn your camera on, you're good. There you go. Really dark. 
Um, yeah, you guys answered the first question that I had, and I just wanted to say thank you. This podcast has been awesome, and literally, as Dre was saying earlier, writing down all these gems and filling up my bag. <laughs> I love that. It's so awesome. Good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we got to see your beautiful face, and yeah. thank you for hanging out with us tonight, and welcome, welcome. Awesome. So, uh, Tiffany, yeah. thank you, my love. Tiffany, who else is asking a question? Um... um LaDonna Miller. Okay. If they're still... Andre, I know you got a question, so I'm just like, I'm here for you. LaDonna, can you... Oh, you don't have one yet? Okay, just, just gorgeous. It's fine. Uh, LaDonna did... I just um, asked okay. to start. Yep. There she goes. Welcome, mm. welcome. We can hear you, LaDonna. Woo! Hey, now we can see you. Can you hear me? We can. Yes. Okay, perfect. Uh, so I was more so asking, it was really kind of at the end of um, this uh, presentation or talk us. Uh, it was more about, um, I think I asked about um, kind of being open and like the vulnerability, kind of what should, um, what comfort level should we be at? Like, I think it was when she was more so talk about um, when to tell people that my day is not going so well, like, so how vulnerable should you be with the person depending on the relationship? If I think, I think I, if I heard the question correctly, because you broke up a little bit there, is how vulnerable should you be depending on the relationship? Is that right? Can you give me like a thumbs up if I'm right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. The question that she asked, it was how do we gauge the level of authenticity with different people? Yeah. So this is so hard. And I think we all, as smart human beings who've grown up in this world, like we've all developed our own internal compass for when we're in a safe space and when we're not. And I think we have to trust that. So I would never tell someone like, you should share something that you don't think you should share, right? You don't think you should share something, you know, et cetera. But what I will say is I would think about just effectiveness. Like when is, is this going to make me effective in whatever I'm trying to ask for? Is this necessary in terms of making me effective? That's one thing I would consider. Um, and sometimes that information could be effective, but it might also put you in a really vulnerable situation and only you can decide and know if that's a risk that you're able to take. The second thing I would share is that there is a lot of research around authenticity. I would encourage you all to Google uh, a Wharton organizational psychologist by the name of Adam Grant, who actually talks about authenticity and when there's too much vulnerability and how that actually works. And as this will surprise no one, that the research actually shows that if you are, uh, if you are a person in a relationship with high status, it's actually okay for you to be really vulnerable because you'll be perceived as being self-aware. Mm -hmm. But if you are in a, a low status position in that relationship, uh, it is often the case that your vulnerability will actually make people perceive you as incompetent or insecure. So it's actually really important that you understand that dynamic. And so what does that mean? It means that if I'm in a room with executives and I'm the only black woman, and everyone else is a white man, I should just be cognizant of the fact that just because my white colleague says, oh, I have no idea what's going on and I'm so unaware of what's going on with this, all this DEI stuff, I don't really get it. He might be perceived as being self-aware, but if I were to say that, 
Now I might be perceived as being incompetent or really in insecure. And so you just have to be aware of those things. It doesn't mean in every single situation, but just acknowledging that that authenticity does not always yield the same reaction or same set of perceptions Ooh. for everyone. And I love that you said that, Iggy, because there is a charge. There's a whole world of thought. I'm going to bring my whole self to work. I'm going to be myself. You're going to take me as you, as, as you get me. And I always be like, oh my gosh, I can't do it. Because I think there's, and I'm not a fake and funny person. Y'all know me. The day that I opened up Kashana and Carl was like, and the diction is gone. And I remember Asha was saying to me, so are you going to put F-bombs on your website? Like for real? Like my first run in 2015 on my website copy, I have a, such a potty mouth, y'all, and had all the things I would say. And I was like, oh, you don't think I should? Because I, you know, I, I, I spoke it perfect with, with way up. Well, the tone was right and the diction was right and the intonation was right and the vocabulary choice was on point and I was exhausted. I'm a New Yorker with a Queens accent and I, and I have a Jamaican accent when I get upset, like, hello. And so how do you navigate those spaces? And so there's the at-home Kashana that relaxes all the things. And then there is the working Kashana for now on stage or when I was in house on stage <laughs> um, in my organization. And what I learned that I had to look for is that sort of that Venn diagram. Organizations where I could have enough of the overlap that did not make me feel like I was drowning. That's right. And the questions that you put forward are, are in the toolkit of pressure testing for, is there a raft? Will I always be standing on my tippy toes in six feet of water, I'm only five foot seven? And I think that's really critical that we make that clear distinction between being authentic in service of what right. and operating intentionally in the layers, the beautiful layers that everybody doesn't get to peel back. Hello. That's right. So I love the way you, that you, the way you put that, like to what, to what end? What is the reason? Mm -hmm. um, and so that I think is lovely. Um, Evie, you know, I know we have gone past your time a whole 15 minutes in this. And so there's a whole Twitch chat connection happening after. So I want to give one more question if we can. And Andre, we're going to close this thing out. Naima had a really great question that she wrote in the chat. If she Woo Naima, come on, on screen, girl. I'll get her. Um, I think she should be able to hop on. There she is. Yeah, there she is. Here you are. Hey, friend. I'm going to unmute myself. Hello, Kish, and hello to um, Yifi. This has been incredible. I will get right to my question. Um, because when you talk about being in a relationship, I'm kind of expanding it to being in a relationship with an organization. And Kish knows all about this because I did some, <laughs> I had to get some pre-work from her, but I work for a large higher ed institution, a foundation, and all, I don't know, a handful of us Black staff members out of like 200 got together, wrote a letter to our executive team, naming all the things that we had observed in terms of inequities um, that had to do with our advancement. And a good month and a half later, um, literally the same things that we pointed out with explicit oh. candor are being perpetuated. And I'm at the point where I'm like, it, are the words not articulate enough? Our things are not very clear. So I'm, first of all, I'm thinking about leaving because it seems hopeless. But if I don't, how can we use this as a moment to create a teachable moment 
or our executive team to say, look, we, we told you what we observed. We've observed it literally in the last couple of weeks. What are you going to do to fix this? I love that question. And I also think that you already gave the answer, right? Which is you told them and they continued. So I don't know, one of our ancestors, one of our mentors mm -hmm. has said, if people show you who they are, believe, believe them. them, believe them, right? So, and I get it. I mean, that's how gaslighting works is where you start to think like, is it me? It, my words have always worked for me. So what is going on? <laughs> what is going on? What is going on? Did, my, did something change? And it's, and you already know, you know instinctually that it's not you. And so what I would actually say and I think this is really, really important is that out of, out of everything that I have witnessed in a decade of doing my work, the most devastating thing that I have seen, the thing that will still very, very close to like bringing me to my knees in terms of just like absolute um, like tears and sadness is the times where I have seen specifically a black woman stay in a role so long where she's been constantly sort of questioned and checked and all the things that come along and then her self-confidence right now takes a shot. So she ends up leaving anyway. Either they force her out the door or she's, she's, she's gone. But now as she's thinking about her next role, she's, now she's carrying that, that weight. She's carrying that backpack of the doubt, of the questions, of the basically like racial abuse, right? She's carrying it and it's, it's hindering her as she's thinking about her next role. And it's essentially a result of staying too long. And so that's, that's to me is like the bigger takeaway is who said it was your job to go and tell, like you can only teach people who want to be taught. So it's not your job to be the, the, uh, I don't know, the um, doula for every organization to be like the racial doula to like help burn them into a new place. Like that's not, that's not for you to, that doesn't have to be for you to carry. But what is yours to carry is your sanity, your mental health, your confidence, your future job prospects, your other opportunities. Mm -hmm. Those things are yours and are sacred. And those are the things that I just hope more of us uh, will continue to protect. Oh, Ify, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, we could talk all day and all night. You can't, you run out of words. <laughs> <laughs> I do run out of words. You run out of words. I literally was like, I've officially run out of words. That's how I knew I was like doing too much last year when I was like literally text friends, I know you've called me, but I've run out of words. And I meant, I like legit, Kashana, Chatty Kashana has run out of words. Um, and so I just want to appreciate you for taking the time out of your schedule to hang out with me, to talk candidly on my meandering road. You know how I go. Was I like, love it. Where are the questions? And I was like, oh, questions. More like, and that's great. <laughs> I love the way we just get together in that work. You really push us to be better. You push yourself to be better. Um, you hold yourself to the standard that you push others to, and also hold yourself open for learning and for growth and have a humility with you that I just love and a confidence that just says, like, I'm sorry, did you not know who I am? It's Leafy, rhymes with Leafy. Get it together. Thanks, it's in the signature. So I want to thank you so much for being our very first guest on our new podcast for the Rooted Collaborative. Let's take this offline.
Because you and I both know we are we have been in the room and we have been in conversations where you give your you give your colleague a look across the room and you go, We'll just take this offline. That's right. That's and you right. know that's the conversation that has to happen after out of ears. And so that's we right. give folks a little bit of a window, if you will, into the types of conversations and the realities that we don't we don't choose to bring into the room because sometimes you have to take it offline in order to be able to air it out, to get clear, and to move forward with purpose. And so I just want to thank you so much thank you. for helping us to kick this off, my friend. Thank you so much. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and leave a comment so we can keep the conversation going. On our next episode, I'll be talking to a fellow Gallup Strengths coach about weaknesses or strengths. We'll be exploring strengths-based leadership and all the goodness you need to know about leading from a place of strength and leaving your weaknesses in the dust. Black women were made for more than work. This is something that keeps sticking with me in my quiet time. Every time I want to raise my hand for yet another thing, I remind myself of this one thing. Each time I stay up too late or skip a workout or a meal or some much needed me time, I am again reminded of this. Black women were made for more than work. Self-care takes three forms. I love this, y'all. Physical, and for me, that shows up like massages monthly, acupuncture, Pilates several times a week, and Peloton, black girl magic in the house, that relieves stress. That's the purpose, folks. Mental self-care shows up for me like getting on that good old therapist couch, coaching. And for some of you, it may show up like journaling. For me, more like doodles. I don't really journal, but that is another really great form. And that's the active problem solving and uh, portion that you need to kind of get into. And then there's the self-reflective portion. And this part, y'all, sometimes it's hard for me to be present. Um, And that could be anything from your Faith practice, mindfulness, that's what's hard for me, y'all. Gratitude, oh my gosh, friends, I suffer from buyer's remorse, help me. And so being able to get into that mode where you're thinking about your physical, your mental, and your self-reflective, y'all, you need some form from every single bucket is something that is sticking with me as I think about the expression Black women were made for more than work. We were made for more than work. So as you think about your work week, you were made for more than work. <laughs>